the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Talking about getting a direction towards retirement. Talking about wealth preservation. Talking about focusing on wealth. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, how are you today? Doing well. How about you? I'm okay. Uh, long night, but my voice is a little gravelly. We'll see if we get through the show. Um, recently, Calpers announced they plan on pulling all $4 billion that they have in hedge funds out. Hedge funds can play both directions of the market, both up and down. Why would CalPERS change the way they're doing their investment policies? Well, the one thing that I can think of is that it became sort of a popular issue as people were looking at bond alternatives and several advisors. And it really comes down to being just too complex and too high of fees. It's one of those things where if you can't really understand exactly what they're doing, then it's probably too good to be true oftentimes, or a hedge fund will come into play, somebody will start it, they'll have one good idea, and a great one- to three-year track record, and then that's it. They can't replicate it. They get they hit it big once, and, and that's really about it. So between being too complex, probably too high of fees, and just not consistent returns, um, they've so it looks like they've decided to uh, make that move and just go a little bit more traditional or maybe even more into harder assets. Who knows? We'll find out more as the story plays out. Now, CalPERS is California's public employee's retirement system. Right. Um, just so everyone knows. And if they can't figure out the, you know, what's in a hedge fund and how it operates, le- legally they need to protect their employees, per se, that are using this system. Um, it's pretty interesting to see because it is definitely a shift. Now, what types of hedge funds or alternatives do you use? Well, I look at them as, as almost like bond alternatives after maybe a fierce correction where you, you know, in a portfolio, you don't want to make too drastic overweights and underweights. But maybe there's a point in time where you see a stock market correction and some real value out there and you don't necessarily want to own bonds or you want to underweight bonds. But in order to maintain risk, you don't want to take too much risk. So there's certain types of 
funds that are out there, um, funds that are known as covered call funds where okay. or a buy rate where they'll actually kind of replicate the S&P 500. They'll sell covered calls to create a little bit of income, which limits your upside, but they'll take that income and buy puts to protect against some of the downside. And those are pretty normal types of option strategies. And I look at it as a bond alternative. If you want some more equity exposure with some limited downside risk, the fees are higher. They're never going to perform as well as the market because of the selling of the covered calls. And it's not a way to build wealth. It's maybe for larger portfolios. Um, the other area that I've used in the past that you could consider that type of strategy is managed futures funds where um, yeah. it, it, they usually use directions to, to go after different commodities or currencies um, where you're not, it doesn't really matter if it goes up or down as long as it's trending in a certain direction. Again, I've used them as a bond alternative, not as a way to necessarily create wealth, but as for larger portfolios to get more diversification and things that aren't moving right along with stocks or bonds. Following up a little bit on that, are these short-term solutions or long-term solutions when you go like a covered call, hedged equity, buy right kind of strategy? Well, it just depends on the, the trend. I mean, if if we go into a okay. – we had a nice market correction and say I have a portfolio that's typically 60-40 stock versus bond, but we look like we're trending up on interest rates and equities look attractive because of a correction, that attractiveness might, might be there for a couple of years. So to me, short-term in the stock market is anything under three years. I'm not a day trader or a monthly type of a swing trader or anything like that. So if you're looking at a you know one to three year play, that would be a shorter term investment idea. Now, what about hedge funds that short stocks? And can we include ETFs that short stocks in this conversation, or just hedge funds? You know, first of all, if you're playing around with ETFs that short stocks, or they leverage it up or down, you're I think you're crazy. You're just waiting for that day of disaster where the market moves in one direction, and it, you try to trade during that day, and you find out your trade goes through at a horrible, horrible price. Um, so don't touch those ten foot pole. Unfortunately, there's more and more of them coming out, and I think it just confuses investors because they look at them and they look at it and say, "Oh, I've got this ETF that's it's up 20% for the year, it's yielding 12%." That's because everything is leveraged inside of it, which means an interest rate move can really crush something like that. So no, I don't really like them. Um, the closest thing I've ever got is, uh, and this was several years back, and just I don't I just don't really see the, the use of them in the long run because uh, shorting stocks, is, it comes with a ton of risk, and it's really kind of a guess. I guess the only way that you come close to it is merger and acquisition fund, which is kind of an alternative investment as well, where um, it's really a play on M&A where they'll short the acquisition, the, the company acquiring the other company, and they'll buy the company that's being acquired for short-term trades. But again, it's not really for a way to build wealth. I mean, if you've got a portfolio that's over a million bucks and you're looking for alternative investments, it's a way to build those different pieces of diversification in. Um, things like managed futures, covered calls, or, or these M&A type funds. But and for most investors, most people that are trying to build wealth, what works well over time is buying stocks at a reasonable price, kind of the, the, the DARP type of a strategy or even a value type of strategy, and small cap stocks. They're volatile, but in the long run, they t- tend to outperform large-cap stocks. So um, you know, stick with what works, and that's the market over time. A lot of fancy funds coming out, and most of the time they're going to confuse investors. They're going to suck them in when 
when they look really good and then they're just going to destroy the investor in a quick, sharp downturn. Now, you kind of just said no hedge funds and you said, you know, go with capitalism in the United States, go with, you know, small cap indexes that have worked over time for your quote unquote growth. Um, is there anything else that you would add in there or spice in there? Well, yeah, I mean, you still want your other types of markets exposure. So you've got, you know, large cap, mid cap, and small cap in the U.S., and then you've got emerging markets and developed markets, which also have international small caps, which is a growing asset class that's, uh, that's more accessible to investors as well. And it's starting to be looked at as almost its own asset class. So you've got the international developed, which is the larger companies, you've got the emerging markets, and now international small cap, and there's some growing number of index funds and uh, managed funds. And again, I like... Typically on the international side, I like my core to be a good, well-known, managed fund, okay. and then mix some indexes around that. Where it's kind of the reverse in the U.S. I like my large cap and mid cap positions, the core pieces to be very, very low cost indexes, and then build managers around them. It's kind of opposite, and the reason for that is just currency and political issues, and you know, having boots on the ground in those countries, knowing exactly what's going on. Thanks very much. That's CFP Chad Burton. CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. He actually does something pretty cool. He'll do portfolio reviews, but you have to go to his website, and it's kind of a process where he gets you to say, you know, check here, check here, check here. Um, and once you do that, you are able to get to portfolio review, which is, again, it's always nice to have a good second opinion. Um, it's something that I do two to three times a year. I check to see where I am. Uh, just made a physical with a doctor to get a checkup. Good opportunity to get a checkup. Go to newfocusfinancial.com. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. Through an open space in my mind when she's not right there beside me. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, more. Talking about new focusing, new fo- a new way of focusing on wealth, how to create wealth. Gas, airfare, clothing are bringing down consumer prices. A drop in prices would give a powerful boost to the doves in the Fed, officials who argue that, that at the moment unemployment and weak economic growth are bigger problems and that the threat of inflation is in the future, not here. So that's positive. Gas, airfare, and clothing, all lower consumer spending items for August. Um, it's an economic data point. Eh, I know it's not exactly happy, but nor is this next story, but this is actually a winner. Um, 
I put together winners and losers for my TV um, appearances. And one of the things that I do is um, I try to get that that point across of what's happening here and why. Microsoft laying off another 5,000 people expected. Um, with that said, uh, you know names like Microsoft have been big winners since they've announced the big layoffs and since the CEO left. Microsoft announced that they're going to up their dividend as well a little bit. One of their smaller up, uh, dividend uppers. So I don't think Microsoft has a lot of growth, and it's wise to cut employees. If you don't have growth and people are just standing by the printer doing nothing, you need to get rid of them. So that is, in theory, what is happening uh, with a round of 5,000 more layoffs. Now, here's another angle on wealth and wealth preservation is these people being laid off depends on where they live. Are they in Nokia? Are they uh, in the you know, Washington branch? Uh, where are they? Are they in San Francisco? If too many of them get laid off and we're in a tough job market, Again, high-end skilled jobs like Microsoft, Google, Facebook, there's demand. There's huge demand. So you kind of see where I'm kind of getting at with this. But uh, if there's a factory live close by to you or a military base, and there's a closing of that factory or closing that military base, it can hit real estate prices pretty aggressively. The Internet celebrated something as far as, I don't want to say a birthday because that's not quite right, but the number of websites has burst above 1 billion. So it's growing up. Um, and it's continuing to grow even at this point in time. Um, the milestone was tweeted out on Twitter. One of the most prominent websites is the Mushroom, but sometimes murky internet world. Uh, Twitter is having a real problem. Peter Thiel went on CNBC this morning and said it's not my favorite stock. And he's one of those venture capitalists that people listen to. Um, so the agency responsible for managing addresses on the Internet expands choices beyond .com.net to provide more online real estate for booming rank sites. Um, the web's going to turn 25 years old in April this year, and we got 1 billion websites. So it was born out of the idea of a guy named Berners-Lee, an obscure young computer scientist uh, 25 years ago in, in Europe. He was working on a CERN lab in Switzerland when he outlined a way to easily access files on linked computers, paving the way for a global phenomenon that touched the lives of billions of people. So that's kind of cool. Um, I know you're saying that's not cool. It's to me. Sony sees a $2.15 billion loss this year. They scrapped their dividend. Um, this is a company that has management problems. This is a company that once was Apple. They were the dominant consumer electronics play for a long period of time, most of the 80s, all of the 90s, and then, you know, Steve Jobs and the, the iPod, and Steve Jobs and the iPhone, and Steve Jobs and the, you know, uh, you kind of get where that's going. Samsung's done some damage, of course, to Sony, too. And Sony's really big. They've got a movies division. You might remember a couple... Months ago, uh, activist investor Dan Loeb said Sony should be broken up. And George Clooney, yeah, that, that one, the George Clooney, was basically like, screw you, you know nothing about this industry. Um, and I think that's a little bit on the fair side. 
Um, one area that is a trend, that's a trend that you should watch for to see if it starts going the other way, is big retail. Um, a lot of people don't really like shopping at like a Macy's anymore. And they have such big uh, warehouse space that people would honestly rather have stuff delivered to them and send it back if it doesn't fit. But that's not quite, you know, uh, uh, an easy trend to push out. Um, but you've seen some real big weakness in retailers in the last couple of years as millennials are changing the way they shop. Um, it, it's it's hurting. So um, Sony, by the way, their Hollywood studios remain pretty solid. Its gaming division is recording strong sales for the PlayStation 4. Uh, demands for sensors is doing very, very well for smartphones, but their smartphones aren't doing very well. Um, they, you know, they had a new smartphone out that they wanted to sell 50 million. It sold 43 million. That's a pretty big mess. A lot of reviews out today on the iPhone 6. Um, with the iPhone 6, what you have is in two days you can go to the stores and get it, but there's going to be long lines, and it's going to sell out fast. Some stores will have them, some stores won't. So uh, Walt Mossberg of Recode says the iPhone 6 is the best smartphone you could buy. Molly Wood of the New York Times praised the battery life. Uh, Joshua Polakski, he, um, he liked the design, but he had a few minor complaints with it. Uh, it's a very slick package, and it almost slips out of your hand, and that's never a good thing. So throw that out there for everyone to digest this morning a little bit. Another story of note out there is tied towards marijuana. There's a startup company that is trying aggressively to get into a IPO-type scenario. Um, the business is not only primed to take off, but could eventually yield a startup that could someday list on the stock market. The rise of legalized recreational marijuana has fostered a boom industry for entrepreneurs, financiers, and hucksters. They see green, no, they see gold in those green buds. Now, I bring this up because it can, it's still against the federal laws to smoke, and the states are some states are allowing it. Um, so a lot of growers can't use banks because they're afraid the federal government's going to, you know, seize their money. It's just thrown out there. This is one of those, you know, it looks like a trend, you know, more and more states legalizing, um, but something you want to be cautious on, to say the least. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You can drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. You can listen to the show at www.kdow.biz. Talking about a billion websites, there's one right there, kdow.biz. There's a stream there and a podcast. Take a break here. We'll be back soon.
So if you want a cheap beer at a football game, what stadium to go to? St. Louis Rams, $4.50. But that makes sense because, uh, you know, it used to be a big brewery town. Um, on the other hand, if you want an expensive beer, where do you go? San Francisco 49ers and Oakland Raiders. 10.25 for the Giants, 10.75 for the Raiders. That's pretty crazy. Um, the average cost of a small draft at a beer game this season is $7.53, showing you inflation. That's why your salary has to go up if you're able to you know, continue to do these. Otherwise, you're, it's out of your reach, right? Um, I was a little surprised that, you know, uh, Oakland, with the football team that they put on the field, that I guess you have to get drunk to enjoy it, right? Right? <laughs> Perfect. I'm not knocking Oakland uh, Raiders fans. It's just, man, they field some bad teams. Uh, like, you don't have any hope, do you? Anyway, with that said, let's bring in CFP, Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP, Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. Chad, when I was 18, that's when young Rob Black started thinking, I want to retire one day. It's really probably the first time in my head I was like, what am I going to do to do that? How much money do I need? How much do you need for retirement? And I came up with a bogus number. It was a million dollars. A million dollars would pay me $40,000 a year till the day I die. But then you get married, and then you have kids, and suddenly what, your, your numbers start inflating much higher, so to speak. Um, let's talk about when do you know that you have enough for retirement? When can you pull the plug? When are you done? Well, it's, it's relative to expenses. So the first thing you need to do is figure out what you're spending, okay. including taxes, including health care costs that you have in retirement. You take that number now and you project it forward with inflation, at least 3.5%. Right? Okay. So let's say in, in you're spending hundred grand a year now, and in 20 years, when you retire, you're going to spend $200,000 a year because that's what you would need. It, it, the value of a dollar is cut in half every 18 to 20 years. So if you're spending 100 now, you're going to need 200 at retirement. Okay. You're also going to need a portfolio big enough to in, continue your inflation-adjusted withdrawals each year. Which, so, which is interesting that you say that because I think that number is actually higher on seniors. Inflation for you and me is 3%, but inflation for seniors, healthcare costs, they're a lot higher than 3%. So I think you're going to need bigger numbers than you think you do. Yeah, I'll disagree with you a little bit there because the healthcare costs are rising at 5 to 6%. But when I look at people when they're in their 80s, okay. they're a lot of times, I mean, getting grandma or grandpa to eat more than two meals a day or more than a couple pieces of toast for lunch, yeah. it's tough. And they don't travel as much. They're just content reading book and playing bridge and whatever than they were when they were traveling a lot. So, and, you know, they're not buying DVD players and, and TVs and, you know, putting their kids through college anymore. So you can run your inflation. You can control it as well because you can also say, I'm only going to be successful if I only adjust my port, my draws by 2.5% a year. And then they know that and they can adjust for it. But if, if you're spending $100,000 a year now and you're retiring in 20 years, you're going to need $200,000 a year then. And you want a portfolio large enough to be able to to adjust the income with inflation, which means that's why you don't you don't want to sp- withdraw more than four or five percent at age sixty five. So if you simply take two hundred thousand dollars and divide it by point zero five, you need at least four million dollars to be successful in retirement. Now that's not assuming there's any social security or pensions involved. And that's not assuming that your home is paid off. So there's a lot of other things that go into that cash flow analysis to determine how much you need. Because if you're looking at your hundred thousand dollars a year now, that might be including your mortgage, which is eventually going to be paid off. Okay. So a lot of, you, you've really got to have a detailed financial plan. But 
you know, it's 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 something that you can do a quick and dirty idea. If I'm going to retire in 20 years, double my income, divide it by .05, and that gives you a little bit of a rough, rough estimate. Do that a little slower. You blew me away with that. Okay, so you take if you're going to retire in 20 years, take okay. your income right. that you need now to live. Okay. Um, if if you're going to have a mortgage that's paid off, you can reduce your mortgage from that number. Okay. Then double that because of inflation over 20 years, and then divide it by .05. Um, if you're going to if you're going to have a pension or Social Security, you yeah. can take your income that you need right now, minus your mortgage if it's going to be paid off, minus your uh, Social Security that you're going to have on an annual basis, and then divide that number by 0.05. That gives you a real rough calculation, but a lot of things go into that cash flow analysis. For example, I've got clients that retire with 90% of their portfolios in 401ks and IRAs. They're going to pay more taxes than people that retire with a combination of 401k, taxable accounts, real estate income, um, and cash, you know, there, it's an easier way to control the tax bracket. So it's so relative to where you've saved your money, your expenses, your mortgage, where you're going to retire. A lot of people aren't going to be able to afford to retire in the state. Let's face it. And with that said, one of the areas that I see people making mistakes on, they think their house is going to be their pig. They, they're banking on their house being their, their nest egg. They're, if, they're, if their savings, their 401k is not enough, I'll just sell the house. Mm-hmm. What are the, some mistakes you see? Well, yeah, that's one. I mean, I'll also say if you've if you're in that point, you know you're pulling too much out of your portfolio to live now, and you think you're going to tap your house in the next ten years to to maintain your success. Right. Do it now by either selling and moving to a different state or doing a reverse mortgage now, while rates are low. I've actually had an email on that very same question recently of you know someone who bought a house in Fremont and wants to sell it, but maybe they'll turn it into a rental while they wait for real estate to come back. Oh, that, that wait for real estate to come back. What? It, you know, it's bottoming. So, wh- how long are you willing to wait? If it's negative cash flow, get out of it because it's killing your retirement. A lot of people in this in this email, this is kind of interesting, Chad. This woman in particular, she said, "I'll go rent a thousand square feet. I'll go rent something that's tiny compared to my house, so that I can wait it out, so I can have that negative cash flow and it change around a little bit for me." So, people have some sickness, some some mentality issues, uh, rule of thumbs where they think they know better than the market per se. Well, it might not be a sickness. It might be a morality issue, Rob, because they know that they, they signed those loan docs. They took it. They they stepped into it right with the bank, so they have some moral obligation to you know deal with the debt that they took on. So that what might I always be the say issue is there. morality schmorality. That's <laughs> CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. I love what I do. Peter Thiel, who is a Twitter exe- uh, not a Twitter executive, but a venture capitalist. He went on CNBC this morning, and he was asked about Twitter. And he says they're not doing well as a company because it's a horribly mismanaged company. But he also said pot smoking. He said Twitter's a hard company to evaluate. They have a lot of potential. It's a horribly mismanaged company. Probably a lot of pot smoking going on there. But it's such a solid franchise, it may even work out with all that going against it. Now, he's considered a libertarian. A contrarian libertarian city he wants to build out at sea on a platform. A city on a platform in the sea. It sounds like in the ocean. It sounds like he might have been smoking a little weed you know, at some point. But holy mackerel. There are some people who are very successful weed smokers. Richard Branson, um, billionaire, Virgin. Uh, Virgin Airlines, Virgin Records. Progressive Corporations, former CEO and current chairman, Peter Lewis. So it is. This show's turning into it's got a slight weed theme in it today. Um, 
And I don't know if you got to see uh, Jimmy Fallon recently when he had the Roots play uh, Jeopardy against some of the guests. Uh, and they, it was pretty funny. Name, what are names for marijuana? And, uh, that's all I'm going to say at that point in time. U.S. current account deficit dips to $98.5 billion. The current account deficit narrowed slightly in April to June, reflecting gains in exports of oil and civilian aircraft and a bigger surplus in America's overseas investment earnings. So the deficit in the current account shrank to $98.5 billion in the second quarter, down 3.5% from the revised $102 billion deficit in January through March. Um, it's the smallest current account deficit since an imbalance of $87 billion in the final three months of that last year. The lower deficit reflected a variety of factors, including gains in exports and a large surplus in earnings by Americans in their overseas investments. Economists look at this kind of carefully. Um, the highest deficit as a percentage of GDP was once 6.3% back in 2005. Uh, GDP and account deficit is a measure of how much foreign financing the country needs. Um, it's kind of dull to talk about, so I'll leave it at that. It's not a bad number, so and I'll leave it at that. Um, other things to talk about. There's there's plenty going on out there. There's a person named um, John Hilsenrath, I believe. Um, he's a Fed watcher, so he works for the Wall Street Journal, and he kind of like watches them carefully. I watch them very passively. He's on top of every speech. I get the notes of every speech and read them when I get time. He's believed by some to be the Fed's public sounding board. He opined the Fed may keep its considerable time language in today's directive. Um, so he knows them well. And that directive is, of course, something that you know will change as we get closer to a higher interest rate environment. We're still in historically pretty low interest rate environments. We have been lower, but that's when the economy was really under stress. Low interest rate environments on a 10-year treasury. It, it, the 10-year treasury is something I base a lot of investing off of. And the reason for that is, is money has to go somewhere. Um, when you're getting no return at a bank, why would you have money at a bank? So the banking industry saw you know, people pull out as interest rates went from 4% to 3% to 2%, and now you can get a CD for 1%. Um, now, so the 10-year treasury is at 2.58, and uh, we'll keep an eye on it because as it gets closer to three, three and a half, that's when people will start selling stocks. And the Fed changing interest rates on the lower end should bleed into the system. When does that happen? That's why we listen to the Fed directives, because when that happens, it's going to be a game changer for what you want to invest in. It doesn't mean a crash, but it does mean a game changer for what you want to invest in. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, invested, and more. Let's go to Ben and Hayward. Hi, Rob. Hi. I love your show. Listen all the time. Um, Thanks. I want to really, start really kind. <laughs> so it's inspired me out. You know, I want to start uh, participating in the uh, Simple IRA at my work. And it's saying that you have to select the funds. And when I looked up the funds, they have a minimum uh, requirement on the purchase of funds. Who? What, you, who's your who's your employer? Uh, or better yet, better yet, who's the custodian of the account? Is it Fidelity? Is it Vanguard? Fidelity. Yeah, I think Fidelity has a twenty five hundred minimum um, for trading and investing. So you should be able to put money in a cash account because Fidelity's cash management account for everyday spending. There's no account minimums or initial deposits. I would talk to your HR person and find out if there's any way around this. So I don't know what your, uh, if you work for a small company who struck a deal or if you work for a big company who got, you know, some bells and whistles thrown in. Okay. So how old are you, How old are you, Ben? 39. Okay. How much have you saved? Um, not as much as I should have. Went okay. back to school. Okay, good. What'd you go back to school for? Construction management. Is that working out? Pretty good, actually. Good. So, well, good luck to you, and uh, thanks. Uh, knowing that you haven't saved enough, and probably being a little shy to talk about it on air soon, since you could look to see if you can get some savings somewhere, um, since you can you know, invest, um, your construction management company or the construction company that you work for, depending on how many employees they have, they might have a better, um, you know, retirement account or regular account. If this is just a regular account that you want to open up yourself, you can go to, but it sounded like you were talking about it through a 401k. But if you want to open up something on your, by yourself, you can go to Vanguard um, you should decide which one you want to do, a Roth IRA with after-tax dollars versus a traditional IRA. Uh, you should choose an all-in-one fund, or you can customize your portfolio. All-in-one funds we talked about yesterday are like the lifestyle funds or the target date funds. And then finally, you want to you know, fund it with $1,000. That's the smallest one that I know of. I know I've heard of one that you could fund with 500 and there's a website called buyandhold.com that you could do it with smaller amounts. It's got to be careful because sometimes there's going to be maintenance fees. For instance, Vanguard, if you have an account with them, they're going to charge you $20 a year for a service fee. Um, but if you sign up for e-delivery, it's waived. I don't mind e-delivery. Um, in no way, shape, or form do I mind it. I actually hate seeing mail in my mailbox. You know, everyone's like, woo, mail! I got mail! And I guess there was a point in my life where that was important to me, but at this point, not so much. At this point, it's more about, uh, let's save some trees. Let's not get 50 catalogs. And whoever sold my name to that catalog company, Arr. but there's a company that will take off, um, take you off mailing lists, and it actually does work. If anyone wants to email me, robertroblackshow.com, it's robertroblackshow.com. I'll send you the uh, company where you can get your name taken off of. Uh, and again, you have to do it with each one. It's like if you get a Victoria's Secret catalog in, there's a code on back. You have to go punch in that code, and it's taken off your address. Um, it's pretty cool. So today's all about the Fed Open Market Committee Directive. 
August CPI also came in negative two-tenths of 1% versus expectations of zero. That gives the Fed, you know, there's no core inflation. Now, that number may be bogus. It may need to be revised and such. Dow Jones transportation average was, uh, you know, better than expected results from FedEx. Home builders are outperforming following above consensus results from Lennar. So, you know, you get a big bellwether and, uh, you get FedEx doing really solid numbers, and other companies like train companies, plane companies, move higher. So FedEx is at $160 a share. FedEx is one of my favorite long-term names. Would I buy it here? I wish I could buy it at 115 in a correction, because at 160 it feels expensive. Um, I want to buy it during a recession. I want to buy it when there's a stock market correction. Or I want to scale into it. FedEx or UPS, who are you going to use? Drones. Okay, so drones are going to be a problem. And you need to start thinking about that. If a corporation, I mean, some of the drone videos I've seen are pretty cool. A corporation could send documents back and forth to each other without having a courier involved. They're in. Right? So it'll be interesting to see, to say the least. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. One billion new websites, one billion websites now on the Internet. That's a big number. The only thing I want you to do with that is take a look at how big that number is. Morgan Stanley came out with a report recently that said human driving will end and Tesla may not have an edge. Um, so Tesla took a pretty big hit yesterday on that news. The collapse is largely being chalked up to a note that Morgan Stanley analyst Adam Jonas uh, published. In an autonomous world, why will people buy a Tesla? Our 15-year discounted cash flow coincides with the end of human driving and the dawn of a crowdsourced mobility in mega fleets. Assuming people can even buy cars at all, what will determine Tesla's strategic and competitive advantage as a provider of mobility? It's an interesting reference. You know, there's still a very bullish case to be made for Tesla, but when aut- autonomous cars are driving us around at some point in time, we may want them to be teeny tiny little things, or may we'll see. Do you, you enjoy the driving experience with Tesla, is the thought, but if it's driving it for you, what's there to experience? You can find me online at robblack.com. and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black. 
Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black, talking money. Doing a little bit on money essentials. Um, what we didn't learn in high school or college or by our parents is good financial education. I don't remember it, and maybe there's classes now being offered. I've been approached about putting together an app and stuff like that, but I'm just busy. So what I wanted to do was come up with kind of an outline. If you listen to all the podcasts, all the shows, back to back to back to back, and there's going to be in grand total somewhere between 9 and 10. Um, I might break them up and make them more like 19 or 20, but I wanted to put this down so that you could start getting things right. Um, we started with setting priorities. We went to making a budget. Your priorities are goals in life that you have. Priorities, your budget funds them. Uh, we talked a lot about the basics of investing, why you have to believe in capitalism and the stock market, how stocks outperform bonds and bonds outperform real estate over time. We talked about different mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. But today I want to talk about something else that's a financial issue. Um, insurance. So health insurance, car insurance, auto, uh, automobile insurance, uh, disability insurance. It's not fun stuff to talk about. Life insurance. But there's a phrase that you can't, don't lose what you can't afford. <laughs> Insure what you can't afford to lose. There you go. Uh, so you want to insure only what you want and only what you can't afford to lose, right? So health insurance. I'm at the age where people have heart attacks. A heart attack in this day and age, and, or maybe even a false heart attack, it's going to run you somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000. So it's worth it right there. Health insurance right there. Some people would be financially wiped out with a fifty dollars to $100,000 hospital stay. Now, fortunately, our government has you know, mandated health insurance for all Americans. So this is just something I want you to understand, because maybe you own a company. Insurance costs a lot, but having none costs more. There are sensible ways to save money on insurance, but skipping coverage isn't one of them. Medical bills from even a minor car accident can deplete your savings. A major illness could push you into bankruptcy. I've got a family friend whose son, son had a brain injury that was just tied towards his genetics that suddenly hit when he was 11, 12 years old out of nowhere. And that would bankrupt the family um, if there wasn't insurance. And they may still ultimately have that problem, and they may ultimately have to do fundraisers and things like that. So I could have the same thing in my body that's, you know, I'm a ticking time bomb. You could have that. That's why you want health insurance. 
if your employer offers insurance, grab it. Because employers are insuring 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people. Where if it's just one person being insured for health, it's very expensive. Comparing plans to do, comparing plans is tough, but you need to do it. Uh, Why do I say that? A friend of mine is thinking about taking a job with a new company. But you first have to look at your, not just the pay that you're going to get at both, but how much healthcare costs are, because that could wipe out a good paying system, or that could wipe out a higher income per se. Sorry, I had a rough night of sleep last night, but I think the content's still going to be here. Um, so you need to compare plans. You need to look at what is coinsurance, what is insurance, what is you know deductibles. I hate my health insurance, to be quite honest with you. I look at it and it makes me almost want to vomit, because when I do use it. It costs me an arm and a leg, and when I don't use it, it feels like it's cost me an arm and a leg. The lowest premium is not always the cheapest plan. What your insurance covers is just as important as, and sometimes more important than, what you pay up front. Ultimately, the cheapest plan is one with the best price for the benefits that you're most likely to use. I don't need pregnancy benefits. Not going to happen. So there's good coverage, so I don't want to pay for pregnancy coverage or riders. I'm probably more of the cancer risk slash heart attack risk. And one of the things I, I like to throw out there is we would probably have lower health care if we only insured the truly big moments in life instead of the small ones. Um, like a broken arm is going to cost you, but a broken arm with surgery is going to ruin you. Cancer would ruin you. Um, if we insured only the bigger events. There wouldn't be so much paperwork and there wouldn't be so much run around in the health insurance industry. There's a growing number of private and public sources that gather information, track records of individual doctors, hospitals, and health plans. You're going to pay a lot more for freedom, PPO versus um, other plans. Plans with the most comprehensive coverage at the lowest out-of-pocket cost require you to use a specified network of hospitals, doctors, labs, and others. The more flexibility you want in choosing your own doctors, the more you'll pay in either premiums or co-payments. So you can always keep your insurance if you lose your job, but it's pricey. It's called COBRA. State and federal regulations protect you from losing your health care coverage in the event of you lose your job. They offer, they offer very little protection from high premium costs, though. But again, you just got laid off. A double whammy would be just got laid off and got into a car crash. Um, a lot of medical expenses, including insurance premiums, are not tax deductible until they exceed 7.5% of your income. So if you had one of those crazy years with the doctor, you might be able to get some of it written off. One of the things I like to see in couples, young couples, I'd like to see one be the entrepreneur and one that works for a big company. So... The entrepreneur is not going to have great benefits because it's too small of a company. But if one spouse works for IBM or Microsoft, or you know, the perks are going to be a lot better. So there's all sorts of types of insurance that you have to start thinking about. Um, one is indemnity insurance, also called fee-for-service. Generally gives you greater freedom and flexibility than managed care. However, you pay more out-of-pocket for the health care you get. With indemnity coverage, you can choose any doctor, hospital, lab, or medical provider. As long as your insurance contract includes the service performed, insurance will cover it. Uh, 
that won't pay for the entire charge. You'll have to satisfy an annual deductible, generally a few hundred dollars, before insurance even kicks in. So as a rule, indemnity insurance covers only illnesses or accidents. It doesn't pay for preventative care like flu shots or birth control. So depending on your policy, it may or may not be right for you. In its purest form, managed care flips indemnity coverage is 180 degrees. And a health maintenance organization, or an HMO, their deductibles are often smaller than with other plans, and sometimes there are none. Copayments are fixed and low. Preventive care, drugs, mental health are usually covered. Um, one of the companies that I work with has this massive, we'll, take, we'll cut cost of your health care if you can prove that you walk 3,000 steps a day, or you have to pass these like little health hurdles, and they cut the cost, which to me is just fascinating. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. I'm going to be talking insurance this hour. And again, uh, we got all sorts of it coming up. What you need, who you can trust, who you can't trust. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. I can't always be waiting, waiting on you. I can't always be playing, playing your fool. I keep playing your part, but it's not my scene. So another type of insurance we need to talk about is disability. We've already talked about health insurance. Disability insurance is a tough one, in large part because no one thinks about it. Now, if you work with a big employer, you probably have some, and you should probably consider some if you don't have some. Disability insurance is, again, not sexy. It covers you if you get disabled. There's a far greater chance that I get disabled today than that I die today. Buying disability insurance probably ranks low on your financial to-do list, and I understand that, because I'm asking to spend money to insure your future. And if you have it at your work, you may want to get a little bit more. If you're young and healthy and you work at a desk job, what are the odds you're going to need it? Probably slim. Except for, have you ever broken a bone? Have you ever had known someone with a problem pregnancy or an anxiety condition that's disabling or got into a car crash and they weren't able to go to work for a day, a week, a month, a year? Or have you ever known someone who you thought was playing the system and getting a Social Security check for not working tied towards disability? About 30% of Americans aged 35 to 65 will suffer a disability lasting at least 90 days sometime in your career. 
Should you ever need the protection a disability policy can offer, you'll be glad that you took the financial precautions. It can cover 60% of your salary, for instance. Without coverage, an unexpected disability can drive you into serious debt. So if, you know, you're a, a trucker and you can't drive for six months, you're, you were bankrupt. So unless you're independently wealthy, I think you need this. I give the example of four people in a car and car crash. One person gets disabled. One person dies. Um, the person that gets disabled can't ever work again because of maybe head trauma or spine trauma or something along those lines. And they're young, you know, 25, 35. Um, who's going to take care of him until he hits Social Security in 25 years? Or, you know, who's going to replace that income? So if you have an income that's important to you, it's really important to consider disability insurance. You want to look for company strength when you're shopping for it. There are maybe six major insurance companies left that still offer disability insurance. There are lots of smaller ones. Um, check the insurance company's ratings by going to moody's.com, M-O-O-D-Y-S.com, or standardandpours.com, or ambest.com. You're looking for a broad definition of total disability. The most consumer-friendly definition of total disability is called, quote, own occupation disability. If you are disabled and cannot perform the principal duties of the job you currently have, you get paid your disability benefit, even if you can't do some of the tasks. Um, even if you become disabled, most people want to keep working. I get that. So the nice thing about that own occupation coverage is that you're not penalized for working at the flower shop down the street, even if you can't go back to work get your full-time job um, for IBM. Or I keep using IBM as an example today. I wonder why. Um, there's residual and partial disability coverage. Now, part of what is going to be the price on this is they're going to, you know, have you give blood. So if you're overweight and you're thinking about getting disability insurance, wait 30 to 60 days and try to get your weight down. Or if you were obese when you got the coverage and you've lost weight since, try to get a new policy or try to get them to change the terms of the policy. A third of a big company's insurance claims are for partial disability coverage. Insurers pay partial disability benefits if you can work at your job for a reduced period of time. After an accident, for example, someone might leave work entirely for six months, then work on a reduced schedule for the next year. If working part-time meant the personal loss of percentage of your income, that partial disability insurance would kick back in. So disability insurance isn't fun to talk about, but it is really, really important to talk about. Um, you want to shop um, and kind of like learn as much as you can. Um, I think that's important. Nearly 11 million people depend on federal disability payments right now, but the system is on the verge of running short. So the Social Security Disability Insurance Program is expected to exhaust its trust fund in 2016, and that means benefits will be cut, and that's never happened before. Disability programs, the smallest of the three big ones with Medicare and Social Security topping them. Um, so if you know anyone who's disabled, I don't know, Start talking to them about, you know, what things are going to look like in the future if they have that federal government assistance versus their own policy. Again, it's like the federal government for uh, Social Security versus having your own 401K. Um, it's
it's time for you to step up and do it. The aging of baby boomers generation is one of the primary drivers right now on tapping into the disability money. So there's, you know, um, workers typically enter the disability program in their 50s. So the spike in recent years is not a huge surprise based on demographics in the United States. It's morphed from a program that pays benefits to stroke victims and cancer patients to people with mental illness and back pain. A ton of people are super needy, but it's grown way beyond what it was meant for, and it needs to be reformed. Um, and again, that'll probably get me an email or two, which I'm okay with. So if you want to talk about this and or anything else, you can call me uh, or drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. You can always call the show at 800-516-1220. You can also find me online at robblack.com. So Quake Insurance, another one of those, should I get it or not? Um, what are the odds? Very, very small. But when it happens, it, it destroys you. So if you have a home and it's like a $400,000, $500,000 home and the land's worth a million, so you have a $1.5 million home, suddenly a four hundred to $500,000 loss pretty big. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Ensure what you can't afford to lose. I've got assets outside my home that are far greater than the home. Worst case scenario, I could sell the land. And the land is typically worth more in California than the home. Um, I would say typically by, um, I'm not going to say that. Um, but in my case, it's almost double. So insurance, sure what you can't afford to lose. It's not fun and it's not sexy, right? And by the way, uh, be careful what you tell doctors. Just I throw that out there because um, it can kind of get pricey very quickly when you uh, disclose that you smoke or that you drink too much. So know that, that what you say may be used against you in the future. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Take a break here. Be right back. insurance and again you insure what you can't afford to lose and that's a pretty big statement right because like and trust me I made it through my 20s without well I did have one bad night so tied towards healthcare there was a night that uh 
I was dating a girl. I just met a girl named Juliet. And I'm a distance runner, and she's a distance runner. So we decided, hey, that would be a fun day. You know, we'll talk a lot kind of thing. It was late at night, and uh, she she doesn't mind running on gravel. I hate running on gravel. My foot kicked out underneath me, blew open my leg, right? So I had to go to the emergency room. I, I kissed her goodnight, and I said, I'll, I'll take care of this. Don't worry about it. And I called my friend. I'm like, you got to come get me. My, my I'm gushing blood. Um, and I felt a little bit weak because I was gushing blood. With that said, um, I'm proud to say that I go to the emergency room. I said, how much is it going to cost to fix up my knee? And they're like, I can't tell you. And I was like, I don't have health insurance. Um, and like, I said, is it going to be 1000 Is it going to be 2000 5000 10000 500 Can't tell you, can't tell you, can't tell you. So at that point in time, I just call. Um, my friend had a cousin who was in vet school and uh, called her and went over to her place. She cleaned out my leg pretty good and stitched me up. And I, I did need stitches, you know, I did. And I, I didn't know how much this was going to cost me. They couldn't tell me. So that's a case where I didn't. I got past it, but what if I had broke my leg? What if I had fractured it and I needed surgery? I would have gone bankrupt or I would have had to go to mom and dad. And that's not, I'm not going to say that's bad, but it's certainly not what we were looking for, right? So a type of insurance I know no one wants to talk about is tied towards life and death. Life insurance. And what I can throw out there about that for you is you don't think you're going to die. When I was single in my 20s, I was like, I didn't have life insurance. If I died, I didn't care. And then when you get older and you either get married or you have kids or your thing that you would value if you were to die, you want it to be somewhere. Um, so life insurance becomes important as you age, I think even more so, uh, because when you're 25 and you're working a minimum wage job, you're supposed to insure 10 times your annual income, but if there's no one there that needs it, then why? So choose the right types of policies. There's term policies or pure, or pure insurance coverage. Uh, pure insurance covers things like... Um, Variable life insurance and or whole life. I don't like whole life or variable life insurance. I only insure what I can't afford to lose. I don't need the insurance on top of it kicking me out. You know, when I'm 92, will I need whole life? Do I need the gains that are capped in variable life tied towards up markets? Yeah, the down markets are protected. But my thesis is that I'm in it for the long term. So let's say you're 30 and you get married, and you make a little bit more than your spouse. You insure at least 10 times your income to start, maybe more, depending on what you have. And you ask yourself, would I be okay if my spouse dies? Would I need the money, or would I just go back to being single again? So you ask, does your spouse need your income? Very, very important. So I had a grandmother who died at 92, um, and when she died, no one needed the money. Her husband had passed a couple of years before. No one needed the money. Insurance is sold. It's not bought. So that's something that has to be really, it's a concept in your head that you have to get right. Agents sell the vast majority of life insurance policies in the United States because life insurance industry has a vested interest in pushing high commission, whole life policies. So 
I think there's a conflict there, and I don't like it. Whole life insurance is expensive. Policies with an investment component cost many times more than term policies. So when you're in your 30s and you're, you have a spouse, and yeah, let's say you get a house, and if you were to die, your income that was helping funding that, that house, you have to insure. But in 40, 50, 60 years, that house will be paid for, right? So you don't need insurance your whole life. My grandmother, when she died, she needed nothing. Nothing. So the, the cheapest one is term life. The returns quoted by brokers, insurance agents, on whole life and variable life policies are just simply guesses. They're not reality. Some salespeople will keep those returns in the future on the high side to attract more buyers. I want you to keep your investing in insurance strictly separate. There are better places to invest without the high commissions of whole life policies. I want you to grasp and, you know, really draw on this. So after retirement also, like with whole life, many people can't afford to pay the, you know, fees. And then the policy lapses and the insurance company won. They know this. It's mathematics. So life insurance is no place to skimp you know, with generally low interest rates, buy enough term coverage to fill your needs. They say 10 times your income. You know, maybe that's taken into some accounts, like when you're 50, that's when you're more likely to start dying. Um, but it also, if you're younger, it gives your spouse time to go out and remarry and things along those lines. So you want to understand, like, if you and your wife have a, if you and your spouse own a home, it's probably going to be more than 10 times your income in the Bay Area, but depending on where you live, it may not be. Some areas are more affordable than others. You always want to match the term of the policy to your needs. So when you have a kid, for instance, I say buy 20-year term. For your spouse, I say buy the term that you're going to be working for. So if, I'm, I, if I plan to work till 60 and I'm 30, I buy 30 years of coverage. If I'm 50 and I'm just now getting it, I buy 10 years of coverage. Buy it when you're healthy. Older people and those not in the best of health pay steeply higher rates for life insurance. So buy as early as you can, but don't buy until you have you know, some dependents that need it. You want the policy to last as long as you know, your dependents need it for. So your children, like I said, you know, I get a 20-year term. That policy in my head would be like, uh, if the kids are still living with you after 20 years, and I think zero kind of counts as years, so when you say zero to 18, that's 19 years. So, uh, and I get insur- you get insurance for the kid because uh, in, it goes to the wife or the spouse, whoever. But it, it's tied in that concept of a kid takes about $250,000 to raise from age zero to 18, and then another $250,000 to go to college. And I don't know where you are on, you know, I, my kid doesn't deserve that. He's a bum, or I love my kid. I'll do anything for him. But for your spouse, you want at least 10 times your income. And for your children, you want a period of time that maybe it's 500000 over the next 20 years. There's no sense in shading the facts on your application to get a lower rate. If a large claim is made, the insurance company will investigate before paying. So, like, if you have a sleeping issue... Be careful. 
Like, you don't want that sleeping issue on your record for a long period of time, because people who can't sleep sometimes commit suicide. So, and if you tell your doctor, oh, yeah, I, I'm not sleeping well. Can you give me some of that, that calming uh, Xanax? I hear it's good. You know, your friend's been feeding you Xanax and candy to dispenser for years now. Um, but ultimately, when push comes to shove, they're going to go to your doctor, and they're going to see exactly, you know, what they, you had and didn't have. They're going to investigate. So don't lie. Um, if you want to come up with a, a reason for it, that's fine. Because when it comes back, you can say they'll say, well, you didn't get coverage because of this. Or we had to charge you a lot of extra money because of that. And you can say, well, me and my business partner were going through a tough time. It was a very short amount of time. Um, as you can see, it was only prescribed once. I didn't even take all the medicine. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting on life insurance how that plays out. Um, so, again, I like term life. I don't like universal life. I don't like variable life. I don't like whole life. Um, I don't like the whole permanent insurance. I don't like the investment angles in insurance. I like to, and the term that financial planners use is buy term and invest the rest. Um, I highly, highly endorse that. Insurance companies pay fat commissions for selling whole life. Sometimes 80% of your first year's premiums goes back to the agent. Commissions for selling long-term policies amount to roughly the same percentage of first-year policies premiums. But since whole life premiums are much higher than premiums for term life policies with the same death benefit, they can be five to ten times more expensive, making agents much, much more money. Buy term and invest the rest. Make sure if you have a loved one, you have some sort of life insurance if they're going to need your income to keep up the lifestyle. Um, and if you have children, again, it's going to be even more. So... Husband, wife, two kids, I'd say at least $2 million, um, up until about the age of 60. And then we could start tinkering with those numbers. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com or email me rob at robblackshow.com. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I'm doing kind of a money 101 kind of approach to what you need to know. Fit health insurance, you insure what you can't afford to lose. With mandated Obamacare, every American should have health insurance if those laws hold up. Um, but it ain't cheap. And when you hear about it, it it's frustrating. Home insurance uh, is one of the more interesting one homeowners. Uh, in large part, you know, your statistic to the insurance industry. And I'll talk a little bit about it in a second. I've covered life insurance. I've covered disability insurance. 
Um, but homeowners insurance, you're just a statistic. If, you know, to an insurer, you're not a person. You're a set of risks. An insurer bases its premium on your risk factors, including your occupation, who you are, what you own, and how you live. So know your home's value. For the record, I have my home insurance with USAA. And uh, I w- if not with USAA, I'd use GEICO. Those are the two best companies for me. In USA, you have to be a military dependent, or your dad had to be in the military, or I have to be in the military. It's a great perk, because it's cheap, and it's good. You have to know your home's value before you choose a policy. It is essential to establish your home's replacement cost. So that's important to note. Insurers differ, as with anything else that, that you buy. What seems to be the same product can be priced differently by different companies. So you kind of want to price around. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had auto insurance with... Uh, Geico, and I switched it to USA, and Geico was great, but USA was just a little bit better, and service, pretty good. So you don't want to just look at prices. Low price is no bargain if an insurer takes forever to service your claim. Research insurer's records for claims, as well as financial stability. ambest.com is one of them. Go beyond the basics. A basic homeowner's policy may not promise to entirely replace your home. Try to get some videotape. Um, not videotape. Try Use your Apple iPhone and video your home. There's tape in that phone. At claims time, your insurer isn't necessarily your friend. Your idea of compensation may not be his, and that's why if you take some video of it, you'll get some pretty good concept of what you're going to get and or not get back. When it comes time for a claim, your insurer isn't necessarily going to be your friend, and you have to know that. The insurer's job is to restore you financially, and I, for instance, have a friend, and he's been on the air with us, David Lillianstein, who fights insurance companies because you're you're paying that premium and sometimes it's not fair the compensation that you get and that stinks your job is to prove your losses in that scenario so take a video of it especially every couple years uh you know maybe you i have a fireproof safe for things like that so prepare before you have to file a claim keep your policy updated and reread it so, again, it's not fun talking about home insurance. It boils down to one big thing. It's risk, and you're a collection of risks, your sex, your age, your marital status, your neighborhood. If you're a homeowner who lives in a coastal area, you're prone to storms. If you're in a rural region, far away from a fire station, there's a higher risk that your home burns down if it catches on fire. The good news is that all insurers don't price the same risks identically, so you can kind of take some of this into account, I would highly, highly recommend um, at least thinking about this stuff a little bit before you, you know, can push comes to shove. So you're, insure your home for a replacement cost. That is the amount it would cost to rebuild if it was totally destroyed. So if you've owned the building for over 10 years, it's the building costs have gone up in your region, you know. Uh, the fires in Oakland, a lot of people, uh, Oakland Hills, when homes got burned down, a lot of people were shocked to find out, like, whoa, I got insurance 30 years ago, and uh, this isn't right. I'm not going to get any. I'm not going to get anything. And no, right? So, uh, to someone who builds custom homes, could be a friend of yours, gives you a little bit of an idea of how much things would cost. Try to bring them into your home. If you got antique moldings or stone fireplace or, uh, you know, things that need to be taken into account of marble baths, upscale kitchen appliances. So my homeowner's policy, not fun, 
but there's one or two days a year that I, I plan to go over each insurance product that I have. Um, so you want to buy the guarantees, traditional guaranteed replacement cost coverage promises to pay whatever it takes to rebuild your home, even if it costs more than the original limits you purchased. That's crucial in the event that labor and building costs balloon after a major disaster. In a lot of states, large insurers cap the guarantee at 120 to 125%. Your safest bet is to work, seek a company with no cap. There's an inflation guard, which, you know, this option annually increases your premium at the rate of the local building cost of inflation. You want to limit your liability. Your homeowner policy protects against lawsuits for accidents that happen on your property. It also covers you if a dog bites someone. The number one insurance claim on homes right now is dog bites. Uh, you might also want to consider umbrella liability coverage above and beyond what your homeowner's limits have. There's a tree on my property that's on a creek, and I keep fearing the day that it's going to fall into someone's yard or someone's house. Um, I've seen trees fall. I've seen the damage that they could do. I've seen branches, and in the winter, you know, you get some rain, and that, that branch just keeps sucking up water, sucking up water, sucking up water. In the summer when it gets hot, that water gets boiling, boiling, boiling. Uh, if you've got big trees on your property, you should have them looked at every five years, if not sooner. Um, I don't know. That's basically all I got on that. A little car insurance. I use a very high deductible, um, in large part because it's lower cost. I'm only going to use my insurance if the car's totaled. So I don't go for a, a low deductible. I go for a very high deductible. And I get a lot of insurance because there's not a, di- a lot of difference between a little bit and a lot on a car. Um, and my big fear is hitting a car full of attorneys on my way home. So if you have any questions, always email me, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.